Well, good morning, Oakwood. Congratulations, you're here. You survived the first of three holidays right in a row, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year. And uh, some of you even may have survived Black Friday. How many of you guys got into the Black Friday whole deal? A few of you guys, okay. Congratulations, you survived that as well. I think Thanksgiving is, is maybe my favorite holiday because it's the least commercialized. And we just get to to eat a lot of food, be around friends and family, and of course football, right? So that's, that's the reason I think maybe it's my favorite. Today I'm going to finish uh, what Eric started last week on this whole idea of, of gratitude and thanksgiving. And I want to let you know that this kind of ended up to be part, a part two, but it wasn't planned that way. And let me kind of explain to you. I've been off this week, um, and so I, I decided I was going to work extra hard last week and get this sermon all done. And Eric and I, we always email each other our sermons so that we know, uh, you know how to tie in the rest of the service together. And I hadn't communicated with him what I was going to preach on. He hadn't communicated with me what he was going to preach on. And so 12 minutes apart, we emailed our sermons to each other. And believe it or not, we were, had the exact same sermon scripture, okay? And my first thought was, oh boy, I need to change that. And then we talked about it in the office. I'm like, okay, obviously God has something that he wants to say through that passage of scripture. And so I'm going to kind of continue what Eric started last week. And so this is going to actually be kind of a part two, but they're a little bit different. So uh, we're going to get started today with uh, living with gratitude Part two, I want to introduce you and tell you the story of Rashad Moss. Some of you may know Rashad because he was, for two years, he was one of our Davis Park members, and Rashad came from the Bahamas, and he was our very first Campus Crusade student ever. Rashad came to the very first meeting with his Bible, and Rashad stands out in a crowd because he's about six foot eight. And he has a very strong bohemian accent, okay? Very thick, okay? He came from Freeport, Grand Bahama. Rashad grew up in a, in a situation where he was pretty poor. Didn't have, had never had his own bed until he got to college. He had never received a, a brand new pair of tennis shoes of his own. He had always had kind of hand-me-downs, and his uncle had kind of was older than him, wore about the same size, and passed along shoes. And he had never had his own pair of shoes till he got to the college, and then he got two pairs, a practice pair and a game pair. Rashad, though, became a very important part of our, our family at the church, and also to the, to the Cybles. He, he became an important part of our family, and, and we just embraced him. In fact, he went on vacation with us. He spent many breaks with us. He did his laundry at our house. We picked him up every single morning for church on Sunday. And honestly, we probably broke about every, you know, athletic rule that you probably could. Took Rashad to the dentist for the very first time. He had never been to the dentist before in his life. I'll never forget, though, the day I picked him up. It was right before Christmas, the last Sunday before Christmas, and he, I picked him up, and he had a basketball in a, in a box, 
and he had another toy, and he, and he said, uh, will you give this to that little boy? And I'm like, what little boy? That little boy on that paper. I said, Rashad, I don't know what you're talking about. That little boy on the paper. Then he opened up his Bible, and he had an angel tree card. So we had the angel tree at our church. And he said, this little boy. I said, Rashad, where did you get the money for, to buy this? He goes, the ladies in the church gave me $50 for Christmas. And I said, and you spent that money on, on this? Yes, will you make sure that little boy gets that? I said, yeah, I will. You see, Rashad came over here with $100 in his pocket from the Bahamas. And most of that $100 went either for fees or deposits. And I knew that Rashad didn't have any money, but what was given to him, he turned around and he blessed this little boy off the angel tree. You see, Rashad had learned what it meant to be grateful. Rashad had learned to live a life of gratitude and appreciate what he was given. Let's pray and just ask God to speak to us today. Father, as we again visit this passage of Scripture, I pray that you speak to us. Lord, there's obviously something you want us to, to know and to hear from this passage. So open our eyes, our ears, and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to use the same passage of Scripture that Eric used last week, Luke chapter 17. And I'm going to make some observations as we begin reading this. In verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. All right, now I want to stop right here and tell you about the Samaritans. Samaritans were a mixed breed, half Jew, half Gentile, and they really weren't liked very much by either one of them. And in fact, the Jews despised the Samaritans so much if they were going to be traveling and the most direct route would to be go through the country of Samaria, they would decide, I'm going to add maybe a couple extra days to my journey and go completely around the region of Samaria so that I don't even have to step foot in this. That's how much they despised them. There was a lot of racial prejudices between those two uh, nationalities. And we think that, you know, being racist and prejudice, that's all just a, a, a current thing. No, it's been going on for a long, long time. While most Jews would avoid traveling through Samaria, do you realize that Jesus, he decided, I'm just going to travel through Samaria. Let's continue reading. Verse 12, and as he entered a village... He was met by ten leopards who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, have mercy on us. Now, the first observation I want us to see here is that we need to be thankful, even if we're in a difficult situation. Now, Eric did a great job last week of explaining what leprosy was. And if you were a leper, you had to go live in a leper colony outside of the community. But you see, at that time, of Jesus' time, leprosy was the most dreaded disease that you could get. It was a highly infectious, contagious skin disease. And so these lepers were not allowed to come into to contact with the general population. They had to go live in these leper colonies. You see, an entire village or, or community could be wiped out or easily infected by leprosy, just by social contact with each other. 
And so besides being shut off from everyone else, there was a lot of physical ramifications. Leprosy was horrendous. It attacked the body, leaving sores. Sometimes fingers would completely just dissolve off because of leprosy. There would be toes that would fall off. Entire limbs would just be removed because of leprosy. The pain was, was awful as well. You know, and sometimes later that pain would give way to the loss of sensation in the nerves and things. And so a person would injure themselves even more, not realizing it. And so it was a horrible disease. Now, it's impossible for us to really imagine what it was like more than 2,000 years ago to have leprosy. Because our modern medical technology is amazing. Now, we can treat many things like this, but at this time, there was no cure. The only way that you could be cured from leprosy was just some miraculous means. So, at that time, you know, the, the treatment was basically non-existent. Beth Moore, she's a popular uh, women's speaker and author. She tells that she had an occasion to be near a modern-day leper colony. And she said something within her had always caused her to want to minister in a leper colony. And so this overseas trip had given her the first opportunity to really be near a place like that. So she walked by the entrance three times. And she saw those people in there suffering, and she begged herself for a chance to go inside, but she couldn't bring herself to go into that leper colony. The reason? She said the smell was overwhelming. She couldn't work up the stomach to go inside and to love on these people in that leper colony. And she couldn't stand the thought of witnessing for the Lord while just absolutely being violently ill as she faced these human beings that we're living a slow death. The trip passed and she said, I was unable to go inside and minister to those people. You know, so I think maybe we've got a little bit of an understanding of what it was like to live with leprosy in the time of Jesus. It was the grotesque bodies, the loud cries, the smell of rotting, decaying flesh. But there was also the emotional pain of being a leper because now you were completely removed and isolated from your family. You couldn't hug your children or your grandchildren. You couldn't give your spouse, your husband or wife a hug and a kiss goodbye. They had to be removed immediately to go live in a leper colony, not having the chance to say goodbye because they too could become infected and afflicted. It was a terrible disease. And basically it meant a death sentence. Let's continue reading. Verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now I want you to notice something here. They weren't healed until they went on their way to go see the priest. Now one of the duties of the local priest besides to lead in worship on the Sabbath day was he was kind of somewhat kind of a medical expert. He was kind of a, a health official. So it was his job, if someone was cured or cleansed of leprosy, to examine them, to do a physical examination and actually determine that they were cleansed, they were cured of leprosy, and then they would declare that they were clean. 
And Jesus said, I want you to go show yourself to these priests. And they looked at their bodies. They were still mangled. They were still diseased. They weren't any different the moment he said that than when they began to take their first step. But somehow on the way, these ten lepers begin to notice the healing taking place. Now, can you imagine what these guys were thinking? Go show ourselves to the priest. Look at us. But they went. And as they began to, to walk, skin began to reform. And the color began to come back into that skin from pale white to now it looked healthy again. Their hair, which was snow white, now began to get a color and it began to turn brown and limbs maybe and fingers that had been removed began to grow back. Can you imagine the joy and excitement in these guys that knew they were going to die, but now they were given a second chance and can you imagine, hey, look at you, look, well, look at you, look at this. And they were beginning to be healed. But in order for that miracle to happen, I want you to notice, these men had to start walking in faith before their circumstances changed one little bit. And I think there's an important lesson for us here. You can't wait until your problems are over to start walking in faith. It doesn't work that way. You can't say, God, you solve these problems, then I'm going to start walking in faith. Then I'm going to start becoming obedient to you. Then I'll start making the, the church and the Lord an important part of my life. Lord, as soon as there's enough money, then I'll follow your instructions. Just solve this issue with my family, then I'll start to church. I want to tell you, you can't put conditions on God, amen? Instead, God places a demand on our faith. And before anything had changed at all, he said, you're going to have to step out on faith. God might be saying to you this morning, I want you to love me despite of your diseases. I want you to obey me in spite of your lack of talent or your lack of ability or the lack of resources. I want you to follow me while it's still difficult, while you don't even see a change in your circumstance. I want you to follow me right now. He might be saying, I want you to praise me in the darkest nights right now before you even see a glint of light. All right, let me get to the second observation. Gratitude puts you in the minority. Verse 15 and 16 says, Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. So only one out of the ten expressed gratitude. Now the way I studied math, that is 10%. Now I think in our world today, the percentage of gratitude may be even less than 10%. might be lower. Harvey McKay, who wrote a book, How to Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive, once said that when you do something for someone, their gratitude will only last as long as it says for them to say they are eternally grateful, and then they forget. Do you know what that tells me? That if people are truly grateful, like a Rashad Moss, they stick out in the crowd. They stick out in this world. 
Because there's something different. When we live with an attitude of thanksgiving and gratitude and being grateful, you are going to stand out, whether it's in your workplace, your home, your community, your neighborhood, your church. When you are grateful, you will stand out, I promise. A few weeks ago, I was watching Iowa State and West Virginia on TV, and it was a nationally televised football game. That was a game West Virginia was unbeaten, and Iowa State beat them at home. And they stormed the field, and right in the midst of, of that, I mean, the entire stadium just went down on the, on the playing surface, and right in the midst of that massive humanity, I saw somebody holding up this sign that said something about Campbell's Soup. Well, Matt Campbell is the head coach of Iowa State. And I told Leah, I said, that's Justin Brody. She goes, no way. I said, yeah. So I backed it up and I froze it. And sure enough, there was Justin Brody. Now, you may not know who Justin Brody is. You might know him as Big Red the Clown or the Easter Bunny because he's been here many times. He was the youth minister at Canton Christian Church. But I instantly picked him out in the crowd because of that sign, he stood out. I took a picture of that and sent it to him. I said, look who I just saw on national TV. You see, when you live your life with gratitude, you're going to stand out. You will be noticed. So tr being truly grateful puts you in the entire league of your own. It gives you the edge. Let's continue on. Verse 17. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Ten were healed. You know, oftentimes parents struggle getting their kids to say thank you, to be grateful. Tell them you're thank you, and they'll hang their head. Tell them you're thankful. Sometimes as adults, we are just like that. We're reluctant to, to say thank you and to show our gratitude. He said there was ten that were healed. So my observation number three is gratitude leads to action. The whole purpose of gratitude is not that you feel gratitude, but that you show it. So gratitude that is not expressed is really not gratitude at all. You see, in this story, these ten men were grown adults. Okay? These ten adults, only one was willing to come back and say thank you. Now, were they not grateful for a, chance, a second chance at life? I'm sure they were, but they just didn't say it. I hear people all the time say, well, you know, I'm just not very good at expressing my feelings. That's a cop-out, okay? Let's just call it what it is. That's a cop-out. One of the things I love about this story is that the one leopard came back praising God in a loud voice, and the Bible says he threw himself at the feet of Jesus to say thank you. In a loud voice. Do we do that often enough? 
I know if we want to complain, I can make sure everybody in the room knows that I'm unhappy and what I'm unhappy about. I can complain in a loud voice, but am I that vocal when it comes to giving gratitude? Probably not. So my fourth observation here is that gratitude opens the door for more. Now, this guy just didn't get lucky that day. He didn't just happen to be at the right place at the right time. But this Samaritan leper learned that day that God responds to our faith. So while he wasn't just lucky, he learned that he had to respond in faith. And that day he connected with the God of this universe and the Savior of this world in a very special way. And his life was changed forever. I want to tell you, when you connect with Jesus Christ, your life is going to be changed forever. Amen? You see, his leprosy was gone. He was able to return to his family. He was able to touch his kids again, to hug his spouse. He got that second chance at life. But he wasn't just lucky because I don't believe he was just grateful that one day, but I believe that he had an attitude of thanksgiving, and an attitude of being grateful. You see, we celebrated Thanksgiving, and we're all thankful that one day of the week, one day of the year. But honestly, if we're really not thankful the rest of the year, we're probably really not thankful on Thanksgiving Day either. My fourth, well, I already said number four here. Well, let's put this story into practical messages, into, into practical terms today, okay? Let's, let's bring this thing home. How do we apply this great story to our life today? I want to give you three simple suggestions that you can do, and these are all easy, okay? First one is to make a list. Make a list. Probably most of us are, are guilty of not saying thank you enough, so I'm going to encourage you to make a list of people that you're grateful to. Now, the most important person you need to be grateful to is God, of course, and we need to be grateful and say thanks to Him every single day. But we need to be grateful to, to the people around us. Every day we get to mingle with people, and we need to be grateful for them, and we need to say thank you. There are many times people have brought God has brought many people into your life maybe over the course of years and maybe it's been a long, long time since you've connected or had any contact with them. And maybe you need to say thank you to them. You know, we live in a great world of technology right now that most of us have smartphones and you can send a text message, you can send an email, and there's even this thing called Facebook that you can connect with longtime friends. I received a Facebook message this last week from a young lady that was in our youth group in Watonga. And I have not spoken to her in a number of years, and she just sent a message out of the blue and said, I want to, want to tell you thank you for what you and Leah meant to me during my teenage years. She goes, those were really tough years. My parents were going through a divorce, and she said, you guys were there for me, and you guys were an example, and she said, you loved me, and... She, she just poured out her heart. And let me tell you, that meant so much to, to me. When we receive a message like that, it means a lot. 
So I want you to make a list of people you need to say thank you for. And maybe it's somebody you've not contacted in a long time. But at the same time, I want you to also not forget about the people that you have daily contact with. And maybe they do something for you every single day. And maybe it's a simple little mundane thing. Don't forget to tell those people thank you for what they've done. This is a time of year when we tend to spend more time with friends and families. So find those special people in your life and a moment to say thank you. Second thing is make the effort. I think the significant part of this story is that this Samaritan leper went out of his way to come back and say thank you. Now, we're not told that he went first to the priest and then was declared clean and then came back. But if you look here, one of them saw that he was healed, turned back. He saw that he was healed and he turned back. So he made the effort. Now, if you'd ask the other nine, it's probably they w- would tell you, oh, yeah, I certainly appreciate the, the healing, but they didn't make the effort. They didn't come seek Jesus and thank him. So I think, honestly, when people do things for us, it's not that probably we don't appreciate it. It's maybe we just don't make the effort. Those ten probably said, yeah, I just haven't had that opportunity yet. We've got to make that opportunity. We've got to make that effort. And we need to make sure that they know we're grateful. Don't let them just assume that you're thankful. Third thing here is to make some noise. You see, the Samaritan came back and thanked Jesus in a loud voice. That tells me he was passionate about his thank you. Let them know you're sincere, not just a quick, hey man, I appreciate that. Let me kind of tell you what what I think. I believe that the thankfulness that you have needs to be in proportion to the gift that is given. This man was given a second chance in life, and he came back before he even made it to the priest, came back and told Jesus, thank you. And he fell at his feet, and he was crying in a loud voice so that everyone around him knew that he was thankful. He didn't just walk up, Jesus, thanks, I appreciate it. Now, if someone was to give you a Big Mac and you appreciate that and you eat it, hey, thanks a lot, I appreciate that. And somebody else gives you a new car, new pickup. Hey, I appreciate it, thanks, that means a lot to me. Do you think that you're going to respond the same way somebody gives you a hamburger as someone gives you a new pickup? Probably not. And there shouldn't be the, the same response. somebody gives me a new truck, I'm probably going to be shouting and yelling and everyone around me is going to know I've got a new truck. You give me a hamburger, I may just, uh, you may know I'm thankful for it because it's gone real quick, but everyone in the room's not going to know it. King David said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you land. Serve the Lord with gladness. So I think that you need to make some noise. Make sure that The thank you that is given is proportionate to the gift that you've received. Let's wrap this up this morning, okay? Some of you today may be in dire straits. Maybe you're in horrible circumstances in your life right now. Maybe your marriage is hanging on 
by a single thread, and that single thread is unraveling. Maybe you're in a financial situation that you don't see any way out of, and it looks desperate. Maybe you just received a bad diagnosis this week on a health condition. Maybe you've got teenage kids or adult children that are running astray and your heart is broken. I've got good news and I've got hope for you today because Jesus came not to just save us but to touch us and to bring healing to our lives. There's a story in Matthew chapter 8 of a Jesus' interaction with another leper. Verse 1, he said, When he came down from the mountain, the great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. I believe the reason the Lord wanted this to be a two-part message is because some of you today are in need of the touch of the Lord today. You see, every one of us are broken people. Now, we may not show it. We may look like we've got our act all together, but we are broken people, and we all need a touch from Jesus. Every one of us here has skeletons in our closet. Every one of us here has a past. Every one of us here has pain that we are going through, and we need Jesus to touch us and say, be clean and be healed. I want you to know today that no sin that you've ever committed, no problem that you are going through right now, no decision that you have made, maybe it was a bad one, nothing that you have done makes you so unlovable that He won't touch you and restore you. If you've ever been overwhelmed by a gift that has been given to you, that there's just no way that you can adequately say thank you or even begin to to repay that sometimes all you can do is just humbly say I have no words except thank you I am so humble and so grateful see I believe you're here today because Jesus wants to touch your life whatever hurt you're going through whatever circumstance whatever pain You're probably not dealing with leprosy today, but if you are, the Lord wants to touch you. But whatever you're going through, Jesus wants to touch you, and He wants to bring healing to your life. That's what He wants you to know today. Will you receive that touch from the Lord today?